Colorado Springs Antifa accused Mickey of being an informant. Mickey's exposed. In a Twitter thread, the account for Colorado Springs Antifa posts photos of Mickey and warns everyone that he's a suspected informant. It reads, be careful around this dude. Probably wise not to let him in your protest space. To be clear, this Twitter thread doesn't offer any specific evidence that Mickey is an informant. So I contact Colorado Springs Antifa, and after jumping through a series of hoops to confirm my identity, I end up on an encrypted phone call with one of their members. I don't record the conversation, he asked me not to, and he won't give me his name. Real cloak and dagger stuff. He tells me that while they don't have proof, they have a lot of suspicions. He says they believe Mickey played a part in the investigation of activists in Colorado Springs, the investigation you heard about in the last episode. By this time, Mickey is deeply embedded in the Denver racial justice movement. He's going to meetings, he's making plans. What people in Denver don't know is the FBI is paying him thousands of dollars cash every few weeks. So as you can imagine, like anyone whose livelihood is being threatened, Mickey's not going to take this kind of online rumor lying down. So just hours after the Twitter outing, Mickey records a video. Good evening or good morning. It's September the 3rd, 2020, roughly about three o'clock in the morning. In the video, Mickey is sitting at a table. There's the red flag of the Kurdistan Workers Party behind him. And leaning against the wall is an AR-15 style assault rifle. Mickey's holding a cigar. And on the table in front of him is a ball peen hammer and a full bottle of Jack Daniels. And Mickey doesn't miss words. This propaganda shit you guys posted doesn't mean fuck all to me. But understand this. I will be polite and professional, but I have a plan to kill everybody in the fucking room that need to be. Mickey posts the video to YouTube, and it quickly circulates among Denver's racial justice protesters. Mickey insists he's not an informant. If you're trying to implicate that I'm a fucking snitch, check this out. Three things I ain't a punk, I ain't a bitch, and I ain't a fucking snitch. You should ask who the real fucking punk or bitch is, or who the real fucking snitch is. I'm Trevor Aronson. From Western Sound and iHeart Podcast, this is Alphabet. Episode 9, I'm a snitch. We'll get to this bizarre video with Mickey in a bit. But for the moment, I want to take you back again to the last week of August 2020. A lot happens this week. This is the same week that Mickey's hyping up demonstrations that become full-scale attacks on police buildings. I can't hear you! This is also the week Mickey takes Zeb Hall and Bryce Shelby to lunch at a famous Dave's barbecue restaurant. Zeb won't commit to any attack or plan, but Bryce suggests they should pursue a plot to assassinate Colorado Attorney General Bill Weiser. 
Tony Jones, your target. A few days later, Mickey introduces Bryce to Red. An undercover FBI agent. And Red and Bryce drive to Weiser's house. Red suggests they could hire a hitman for five or six hundred dollars. You know, it's gonna cost something to put it together, is all I'm saying. What are we looking at, figure wise? Five, six hundred bucks. Yeah. Bryce knows that's not enough money for a hit like that. And besides, he's all talk. He's not interested. Not really. So he goes Fred and Mickey, doesn't return any of their calls or text messages. Okay, now the stuff I haven't told you about. A couple of days after Mickey puts Red onto Bryce, Mickey arranges to meet Zeb at a sporting goods store that sells firearms, a Bass Pro Shop in Denver. He's asked Zeb to buy him a gun, and Zeb, having seen Mickey with lots of guns, doesn't think what Mickey's asking him to do is a big deal. But yeah, it is a big deal. Okay, the date today is Thursday, August 27th at approximately 2.47 p.m. Uh, with Special Agent Scott Dahlstrom, Special Agent Byron Mitchell with CHS, meeting with uh, Zubadias Hall. Mickey meets with his FBI agent handler and gets a recording device. He then drives about 10 minutes to the Bass Pro Show. Sitting in the parking lot and smoking a cigar, Mickey sees Zeb walking toward the store with a woman. I think that's his girlfriend. Or chick he's in. Mickey is communicating with the FBI agents. We're watching the live feed. Mickey then puts on his face mask, the black one with the Punisher logo and the Kurdish flag. Peshmerga. It reads on one side of the mask, and he goes into the Bass Pro Shop. Mickey walks past a waterfall pouring into a giant fish tank. This Bass Pro Shop has a gigantic aquarium full of freshwater fish. Mickey is in the middle of the store, casting around for Zeb. Just then, a salesman comes up to him. I'm the Mickey just keeps walking. He's looking for Zeb. But after about five minutes of searching, Mickey can't find his target in the cavernous store. He tries to call him, but Zeb doesn't answer his phone. Mickey then talks to the FBI agents who are watching the live feed. He's in a store somewhere, but I don't know where. It's like literally playing hide and go fuck myself. Mickey gets a call. His ringtone is a motorcycle engine revving. It's Zeb. Hello? Hello? Thank you, not to Yeah, I'm upstairs right now. I'm not even upstairs, bro. I'm like literally walking around the store like hiding and go fuck myself. I can't even find you. Okay, I'm going, uh, I'm actually about at this tank. I'm going upstairs in the elevator right now. Just come in the elevator because they uh, fire up some stairs. Okay, I'll get there in a second. All right, bye. Mickey finally finds Zeb, and he's with a friend named Sarah. Mickey uses a low voice, so no one nearby can hear. So, you're like a 45, and I run, not chrome black, AK 47 or 9 millimeter pistols, that's all I do. Like, you know, clean, 
So I wasn't trying to do something cash walking up there or something like that, so. Mickey tells Zeb the kind of gun he wants. And he makes clear that he can't be anywhere near Zeb when he's buying the firearm. That's kind of weird. Oh, well, here's, here's the fucking cash in there. Oh, yeah, so. All right, so. Because, you know, they ask me. Yeah, and then they're like, well, and then all of a sudden they know that I'm a felon. Yeah. It's going to fuck everything up. What Mickey says right then likely isn't an accident. He reminds Zeb that he's a felon, and it's illegal for a felon to have a gun. It's illegal to buy a gun for a felon. What's happening here is Zeb is acting as what's called a straw buyer. What Mickey says is designed to help build a criminal case, to demonstrate intent, to show that Zeb knows Mickey's a felon. So, okay, so let me get the cash. Mickey hands Zeb $1,500. I'm going to go wander off so I Everything seems to be going exactly the plan. More after the break. Hi, I'm Dave Eagleman. I have a new podcast called Inner Cosmos on iHeart. I'm a neuroscientist and an author at Stanford University. I've spent my career exploring the three-pound universe in our heads. On my new podcast, I'm going to explore the relationship between our brains and our experiences by tackling unusual questions so we can better understand our lives and our realities. Like, does time really run in slow motion when you're in a car accident? Or can we create new senses for humans? Or what does dreaming have to do with the rotation of the planet? So join me weekly to uncover how your brain steers your behavior, your perception, and your reality. Listen to Inner Cosmos with Dave Eagleman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Rosie O'Donnell, and I've got a new podcast called Onward with me, Rosie O'Donnell, on iHeart. I'm 60 years old now. Believe that? Yes, it's the truth. So I figure two-thirds of my life are done. Zero to 30, 30 to 60, and now I'm in the 60 to 90 if I'm lucky. Mostly, uh, this part of my life is just about moving forward. And I thought, what a wonderful way to do it. With the podcast that I can sit down here in my home with people I love and admire, people I've worked with, people I've gotten to be friends with, and some family friends that feel like, the real deal. Like who, you might ask? Natasha Leon, Jennifer Lewis, Ricky Lake, Fran Drescher, Sharon Bless, Kathy Griffin, Cameron Mannheim. The list goes on and on. Listen to Onward with Rosie O'Donnell, a proud part of the Outspoken Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This case has all the markings of a ritualistic occult murder. And in all caves, I say the Lord works in mysterious ways. A brand new immersive fiction podcast. You know, he ain't got nothing on the devil. Part psychological thriller, part supernatural horror. The truth, sometimes it's revealed at the intersection of facts. Sometimes it's hidden to the core. Starring Westworld's Jonathan Tucker and Eddie Cathegui from Twilight. I wouldn't go digging around, stirring up trouble if I was you. Tune in to uncover what happened when three boys entered a Tennessee cave, but only one returned. 
This is to the exact spot where we found the bodies, Julie. I'm Antoine Cates. M-A-N-T-A-W-A-U-K. A version of IR Radio. One House Television. And Psychology Adventures. Every minute I remain in Manawal County, the thicker the fog gets. Listen to the Mentor Cades now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Mickey's given $1,500 in cash to Zeb to buy him a gun. And he's walked out of the Bass Pro Shop. About 15 minutes later, Zeb and his friend Sarah walk outside as well. They're standing by the front door. Zeb tells Mickey that he needs to grab his car registration for the background check. And he tells Mickey that he selected a gun. Yeah, but it's a uh, 45 Zeb's friend Sarah makes a nervous joke and says, it's too small for my hand. You mean your hands are too small for the weapon? Yeah. Uh, you're saying After Zeb gets his car registration, and he and Sarah go back into the Bass Pro Shop, Mickey walks over to his hearse in the parking lot. The weapon's too small for her hands. Oh my god. She got like fucking million hands. Mickey then calls Scott Dahlstrom, his FBI handler. Hey, so what's going on here? Oh, that air is staring at the fucking trees. Okay, so our going in and out, so we, have, we saw you walk out with them, but we couldn't hear very well. Uh-huh. Um, why, so you walked out the store, why did you walk out and go back in? Yeah, go get registration, show them to register. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So, uh, his girlfriend, uh, uh, was telling me that, uh, his gun was too small for her hands. I'm like, you mean your hands are too small for the gun? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I heard that, yeah. Hell <laughs> so, yeah. So, I thought I'd clear on it now. Um, we're waiting in this, uh, lag. But yeah, no, it's fine. You know, it's just the connection. Okay. It's recording the connection. Okay, got it. Okay. About 15 minutes pass, and Zeb finds Mickey in the parking lot, standing near his hearse. That's pretty goddamn fast. So Zeb's background check comes back tomorrow, the store will let him pick up the gun. And then Zeb's planning to give that gun to Mickey. He said that he was a felon that he couldn't have a gun, but if you have all these guns in your car and you you're known to walk around with them, you know, how could you have them? Then you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I didn't understand. Zeb says he found the whole situation confusing and was surprised to find himself buying a gun for Mickey. And thing is, I before all that, I never would have bought a gun for anybody, and I just didn't understand. I uh, and. I think uh, I lacked a lot of confidence and I was scared of a lot of things that were going on. The next day, the background check comes back clean and Bass Pro Shop calls Zeb. He can pick up the gun. So Zeb arranges to meet Mickey. And Mickey, as usual, first meets with his FBI agent handler to obtain a recording device. 
Mickey's parked his hearse outside a barber shop in Denver. He's waiting for Zeb. The Fuji's cover of Killing Me Softly plays on the stereo. Mickey's plan is to have Zeb come up to the driver's side window and hand him the gun. So he calls Scott Dahlstrom, the FBI agent, to make sure the camera angle is clear. Hey, real quick, can you see my window right there? A couple of minutes later, Mickey gets a text from Dahlstrom. The message can't be seen, but based on Mickey's response, I suspect the agent reminds him about the proper way to handle the gun as evidence. Mickey looks down at the camera, a little annoyed. That was Mickey spitting out of the car. I already know. Wanna play with it, look at it, lick it, touch it inappropriately, smell it, violate it. About five minutes later, Zeb pulls in, and he's trying to find a parking spot. Mickey hollers at him through the open passenger side window. Yeah, just park the wall, shit. You make it look like you're trying to invade the Pentagon or something. Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy plays on the car stereo. Zeb walks up to Mickey's passenger side window. That, of course, will work for the FBI, since their camera is facing the driver's side window. Come this side. Zeb, come the other side. Come the other side. I got my gun to screw Now Zeb can be seen on the FBI camera. He's wearing a black t-shirt and he's standing outside the driver's side door of Mickey's hearse. Zeb hands Mickey the gun, in its case, just like it came from the store. Yeah, you put that whole fucking stickers on this bitch, didn't they? After this transaction with the gun, Zeb tells Mickey that he's strapped for cash. Zeb says he needs money for first aid supplies to care for demonstrators who get wounded by Denver cops during the next protest. So Mickey gives Zeb a hundred bucks. And in about a week, things will get wild. A group of Antifa activists in Colorado Springs will post a Twitter thread alleging that Mickey's an informant. Hi, I'm Dave Eagleman. I have a new podcast called Inner Cosmos on iHeart. I'm a neuroscientist and an author at Stanford University, and I've spent my career exploring the three-pound universe in our heads. On my new podcast, I'm going to explore the relationship between our brains and our experiences by tackling unusual questions so we can better understand our lives and our realities, like does time really run in slow motion when you're in a car accident? Or can we create new senses for humans? Or what does dreaming have to do with the rotation of the planet? 
So join me weekly to uncover how your brain steers your behavior, your perception, and your reality. Listen to Inner Cosmos with Dave Eagleman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Rosie O'Donnell, and I've got a new podcast called Onward with me, Rosie O'Donnell, on iHeart. I'm 60 years old now. Believe that? Yes, it's the truth. So I figure two-thirds of my life are done. Zero to 30, 30 to 60, and now I'm in the 60 to 90 if I'm lucky. Mostly, uh, this part of my life is just about moving forward. And I thought, what a wonderful way to do it with a podcast that I can sit down here in my home with people I love and admire, people I've worked with, people I've gotten to be friends with, and some family friends that feel like the real deal. Like who, you might ask? Natasha Leone, Jennifer Lewis, Ricky Lake, Fran Drescher, Sharon Bless, Kathy Griffin, Cameron Mannheim. The list goes on and on. Listen to Onward with Rosie O'Donnell, a proud part of the Outspoken Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This case has all the markings of a ritualistic occult murder. The markings say the Lord works in mysterious ways. A brand new immersive fiction podcast. Well, he ain't got nothing on the devil. Part psychological thriller, part supernatural horror. The truth, sometimes it's revealed at the intersection of facts. Sometimes it's hidden to the lore. Starring Westworld's Jonathan Tucker and Eddie Cathedral from Twilight. I wouldn't go digging around, stirring up trouble if I was you. Tune in to uncover what happened when three boys entered a Tennessee cave, but only one returned. This is the exact spot where we found the bodies, Julie. The Mentawalk Case, M-A-N-T-A-W-A-U-K. A production of iHeartRadio, Blumhouse Television, and Psychopia Adventures. Every minute I remain in Manawalk County, the thicker the fog gets. Listen to the Mentawalk Caves now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Colorado Springs Antifa posted its Twitter thread on September 2nd, 2020, using Mickey of being an informant. Mickey then sends the anti-fascist group a direct message, offering a veiled threat. The anti-fascist group posts a screenshot of Mickey's message on Twitter as well. That's kind of fucked up that you assumed without hitting me up and asking what's up, Mickey writes. But I found out who Colorado Springs Antifa is, and I'm going to be dealing with them soon. It might make the news. As the Twitter thread makes the rounds, people immediately start talking. They're outraged. Here's that Paul. And you know, you heard through different groups, they'll kick his ass on site, fuck him, don't let him around the groups. This is in early September 2020. And by this point, so many people have been called informants. Trey, Mickey, some of the activists from the Young Democratic Socialists of America, even Zeth. I think that's why I got the Smith jacket as well, you know, because uh, people thought I was an informant, you know. And I think a lot of other black and brown and even gray white, you know, either either leaders or allies, comrades, accomplices, whatever you want to call them, you know, they got caught up as well. There's so much suspicion of everyone that it seems plausible that Mickey's being falsely accused. So Mickey gathers Zeb and his YBSA allies in the apartment in Denver, the one with the PKK flags. Yeah, um, I was there. And 
it was just one of the most fucked up situations I could ever imagine. Mickey has an idea. He'll record a video that responds to the allegations that he's an informant. They put up a uh, military flag or whatever country he was at, you know, um, behind him. He had a cigar and he was like acting all tough and shit. He was throwing low-key threats like he regularly did. Good evening or good morning. It's September the 3rd. In the video, there's that assault rifle leaning up against the wall with a ball-peen hammer and a bottle of whiskey on the table. Mickey's wearing a black t-shirt that fits snugly around the shoulders and biceps. On the shirt is a square image that's half American flag, half Kurdish flag. And there's a Punisher logo. The full video runs about eight minutes. Mickey is angry. So there's a group that, or an individual that's claiming that they are Antifa Colorado Springs. And in fact, that I believe that they are actually not Antifa Colorado Springs because I believe they are actually a cop. I, for one, am not amused or pleased about the fuckery that's going on. I will clarify some things, but I'm going to address some things real fucking quick. And this is not scripted. Mickey goes on a tangent here about how he's a battle-hardened Peshmerga fighter before getting back on track. You can hide behind an anonymous website and an anonymous profile talking all that shit about, I'll tell him to his face, no, you won't, because at the end of the day, you come to me, I got something for you. Mickey picks up the hammer. I am the type of individual, I don't give a fuck about going to prison. I don't give a fuck about getting killed, because believe me, I've fought ISIS for Nash. I've fought Al-Qaeda. I've fought Habushabi. I fought in Iraq and I fought in Syria. I've trained real Antifa freedom fighters in both those regions. And I am certainly not fucking scared of you. I don't give a fuck about the cops and I don't care about the police. But I will tell this to you right now. At the end of the day, I do not agree nor accept fascism. I do not accept and agree oppression. That's what I fought against, and that's what I'm still fighting against. But understand this. If you come to me fucked up, I'm going to fuck you up. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This propaganda shit you guys post doesn't mean fuck all to me. If you're trying to implicate that I'm a fucking snitch, check this out. Three things, I ain't a punk, I ain't a bitch, and I ain't a fucking snitch. You should ask who the real fucking punker bitches or who the real fucking snitches. It's a carefully choreographed message, full of bravado. Mickey's a talented liar. It's hard to sense his desperation under all the chest thumping. But the video doesn't stop all the whispers about Mickey. The challenge Mickey faces in trying to preserve his cover is that anyone accused of being a snitch will say, I ain't a snitch. So how can you possibly know who's telling the truth? Two days later, Mickey tries to get ahead of the story. With the help of the YBSA activists who are still enamored with him, Mickey records a Q&A video on Twitter. More than 1,000 people view it live. It's posted to Mickey's Twitter account. His username is, and no, I'm not joking here. 
It's ISIS killer kitten. The video begins with Honor, one of the YDSA activists, asking Mickey a question. And why are you doing this? Uh, because true enough. In the Twitter interview, Mickey answers questions from Honor about his long criminal record, which is feeding suspicions among activists that he could be working for the police. Do you regret your criminal history? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. You know, I mean, it, it made me who I am in some ways, but in reality, yeah, I wish I could go back. Yeah. In particular, activists have raised a lot of questions about Mickey's sex crime, which, as you might remember, Mickey pleaded down to misdemeanor third-degree sexual assault. When he was 20, he had sex with a 14-year-old, but claimed he didn't know the girl was underage. Mickey tries to address the concerns. Can you describe your reaction to uh, the, the recent um, discussion of uh, your sexual assault charge? It's like a regurgitating fucking truth. It's been talked about so many fucking times. And the thing is, it was a fucked up situation, which I personally say, you know, I did some stupid shit. I mean, first of all, believe so you wouldn't say that you have any sort of a pattern of uh, repeated sexual violence? No. It's, if I did, I'm sure I would have to sit here, you know, drinking whiskey, smoke a cigar, out in public if I was a sexual predator. There are sexual predators that do love pretty freely, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think personally they should be bullied in front of the This goes on for a bit with Mickey describing how he's misunderstood and how he's really an ally to the racial justice movement. Then Honor asks a question about his role in that movement. Do you see yourself as uh, any sort of leader in the protest? No. Um, there's been no changes of policy. We've got, people, we've got more people living on the fucking streets. We've got black people still being fucking killed in Kenosha, California. Fuck, I could go on for hours on fucking places. That's just the shit that we've seen on camera. And at the end of the day, no, I I don't find myself as a leader because in reality, I'm, I'm not the leader type like that. I can't sit there and say, oh yeah, I'm totally a leader because here's the thing. And this is what I'm, I'm, I look at is, I can't sit there and say that I'm a fucking leader because at the end of the day, I'm not a black man. I'm not a black woman. I'm not a transgender. I'm not gay. I'm not bi. I'm not pansexual. I have no room to fucking need anything. But if somebody fucks with you, I'm there to defend you. I'm an ally. That's it. Honestly, I don't think in reality, and I know this sounds kind of fucked up, but maybe racist. I don't think a white man or a white woman should be speaking on black matters. Show them support, but shut the fuck up and let them talk. Black lives do matter. It's their business. At this point, Aiden, another YDSA activist, takes over for honor. So there have been a number of people online recently who have been labeling you a snitch or informant or narc or otherwise. What do you have to say to them about that? Hmm. Okay, yeah. So anybody I've been around pretty much, how many times have my name been on? Or paperwork with the rest advocate. Zero. Uh, here's the thing for you. If you've ever been in the fucking legal system, just ask for a motion to discovery. It gives you all the information of the case. 
people say, come be a true informant. People say, blah, 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 blah. They say this, that, and they actually read how they got the charge and brought against you. I'll bet you. My name, I'll bet you my motherfucking balls. Since everybody wants to be on my dick. I'll bet you my car, whatever you want. My name, it's not none of that shit. That's a bad bet for Mickey to make. Because as he's saying this, Mickey's name is on dozens of reports inside the FBI's Denver office. But no one knows that yet. The two primary YDSA activists who unwittingly helped Mickey are Honor and Aiden. I call Honor first. Hello? Hi, may I speak to Honor, please? Yes. Hey, uh, my name is Trevor Aronson. So the reason I'm calling is I'm doing a story about a guy named Mickey Windecker and his work with the FBI. And, you know, I ended up getting a copies of recordings and reports, and you were named as one of the people that, you know, he was essentially spying on. Honor hangs up on me, so I call Aiden. Your name came up in some of the files as someone that Mickey was spying on, so I was wondering if you'd be uh, willing to talk to me a little bit about him. No, I don't know anything about that. Are you sure? Are you not in trouble in any way? Where are those files? The FBI files? Mm -hmm. So they're not public. They, they were they were leaked to me. They're, they're FBI internal files. I'm not interested in talking about any of this. I don't want my name involved with any of this. I don't have any knowledge of anything. I'm, I'm trying to stay as far away from this as possible. And I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to talk about it at all. Since Honor and Aiden didn't cooperate with me, and because they have not been charged with a crime as a result of Mickey's activity, I'm not using their last names here. At some point, and I don't know exactly why, since they won't talk to me about it, Honor and Aiden wised up and abandoned Mickey. The YBSA activists believe, quote, the feds were watching, according to an FBI internal report. There's one activist who came around to this realization very slowly. Zeb Hall was there in the apartment as Mickey recorded the videos. And it was there that things stopped making sense. He didn't buy all of Mickey's explanations. Mickey made a bunch of threats, suggesting to Zeb that maybe Mickey has something to hide. Days earlier, Zeb had bought Mickey a gun. And now, for the first time, he has suspicions about Mickey. It really was starting to become evident at that point for me. When that came out, uh, then you're finding out about his. <sighs> like you thought at that point that it was possible he was an informant? I felt that he probably more than likely was. And then what are you thinking about the fact that Bob was not at that point? I'm fucked. Yeah, Zeb's fucked. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hearse, season one of Alphabet Boys. Yeah, Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcast. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. Yeah.